Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores. And with us today, we have John Wells. Hello. Hello. Good morning. <laughs> so I realised I sort of almost led on to saying something else and then stopped. Um, can you tell the audience just kind of like who you are, what you do? Um, sure. My name's Jonathan Wells, and I am the head of design at Morgan. Um, joined Morgan in 2009 during the company's centenary year. Um, it's part of a very small team, and, and you know, since then the company and the team have grown, and now look after a team of nine creatives, and we are part of the wider R and D team at Morgan. Mm. So you were on the podcast a while ago. So if anyone wants to know more about Jonathan and his sort of backstory and how he got to this point, um, you can check in. Just wind back. There's an older podcast. Um, I can't tell you what number, but I will link it in the description. Um, and we talked about the CXT, I think, at the time as well. Um, so the reason I wanted to have a chat was you've um, you've launched a, I'm going to say new car. I feel like new car is warranted. Um, the Super 3. And I went to see it this morning at the Morgan Works place in London, which I've not been to, actually. Um, it's that's a really cool setup. It's like a kind of showroom. I guess you can go and spec things there as well. Um, a bit of a London base, I guess. Yeah. Um, and and saw the new new car. So okay, let's let's sort of wind back a little bit. When when did this process start? Designing this car. Um. Well, it's interesting you're calling it a car to start with. A few people aren't quite sure what it is, but yeah, I, I, I call it a car. I'm well, I'm okay, yeah. Three-wheeled vehicle. <laughs> three-wheeled thing. <laughs> three-wheeled thing. Um, when did the process start? That's a good question. Um, a little over two years, probably, 
from the first sort of boardroom discussion, then we when we realised and identified that um, we needed to to revisit our three wheeled vehicle platforms. Um, predominantly, that was for a few reasons, um, largely surrounding the engine. That was the the main catalyst, really, for change. So you may be aware yeah. that the, the outgoing three wheeler had a an American V twin motorcycle engine on on the front end. This was made for us by S and S, which several years ago were making engines for all sorts of motorcycles and and vehicles in the custom world. Um, but towards the later, more recent years, have just been making that engine for us. And that was a reflection of how hard it was to homologate and approve an air-cooled V-twin engine. So on the last round of emissions legislation for the um, for the Euro 4 three-wheelers, we had to strangle the power, put snorkels on the car to manage airflow better and do all sorts of work, which compromised the look and the performance drastically. And we recognized we just weren't going to survive another round of emissions and legislation with that, with that engine. So that was the big catalyst for change, truth be told, um, engine supply. Also, uh, the cost of that powertrain, that V-twin engine was becoming notoriously expensive. Um, and when you you have all the associated hardware with that, we're taking a very torquey twin engine, trying to manage some massively irregular torque spikes with some very complex compensators to feed the power into the smooth running gearbox. And there was a lot of complexity in the powertrain, which was driving high cost. So the three-wheeler, the last outgoing cars were sort of well into their 50s in terms of retail price, which is an expensive toy. Mm. Um, and also after, yeah. you know, over 10 years of production, there was just a bit of a recognition that the, um, that the three-wheeled vehicle would become a core product for us. What started out as a bit of a niche and a, and a fun, you know, niche product within the range had become a real staple vehicle for us. We built over you know, yeah. almost 3,000 cars now. So um, we recognize that, you know, it's a firm product pillar. So those things really, the engine mainly, but a general need for product refreshment and uh, a bit of materials to reassess that was why we changed. And yeah, like I say, a little over two years ago. And it's like, from looking at it, I feel like, well, I don't know, you you, you will 100% know. Like you, you've, you've sort of, you didn't just change the engine and go, okay, it's got a new compliant engine in it, job done, looks the same classic etc job job like this looks like quite a significant designed thought out process yeah 100 percent um that's that's totally right and that's exactly how we um appraise the whole the whole prospect of the project really i mean interestingly morgan's morgan started with three wheelers in 1909 and throughout well, right up until the 50s, there were many different variations of the three-wheeler. Um, they weren't all with the twin V-twin out front. We had lots of inboard car-derived engines under the bonnet as well of three-wheelers. And, of course, in 2016, many will remember we did a, an electric three-wheeler concept too, which also um, retired the V-twin yeah. from the front. So it wasn't you know, a, a total game-changer for us. But like you say, taking away that engine – that has reflections throughout the whole car. The power and performance change, the character change, the packaging requirements change. Um, and there was no way that we were going to graft a car-derived engine that wasn't supposed to be seen on the front of the tubular steel frame chassis that was there before. Um, 
The three-wheeler yeah. is, is a brilliant car, the V-twin three-wheeler. If you haven't driven one, you know, you should. And I'd urge anybody to. They're, they're full of character. Um, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Um, I think it's probably fair to say that um, with that, that the V-twin was doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the whole car. So it was not only a very detailed and wonderful aesthetic and texture on the front of the car, it was also responsible for a lot of the character of the vehicle and you know, some of the fairly rudimentary engineering around that was kind of forgiven a little bit. Tubular steel frames, bas- chassis mm. wasn't particularly, you know, revolutionary. Um, single skin aluminium bodywork. It was all fairly basic. Um, we recognised that there was a big opportunity, much like three-wheelers in the past have done, to address the performance, the dynamics, the ride and handling, the compliance, and make this even more exciting. Cope with better power, higher power, Um and, and broaden the use cases of this car. So, yeah, we looked at everything, really, starting with the engine and yeah. structure and body. The, um, one of the things I noticed is the the new car, and, and definitely let's run through a lot of the details, is to me it looks like you've taken or definitely approached the people that maybe have done some, and you will know what, like some people must have done stupid amounts of miles in their three-wheelers and gone all those sort of places. And presumably in the process have gone, I'm going to tweak that. I'm going to tweak that a bit. I'm going to tweak that a bit. Did you go and do a lot of research into what had been done and what sort of crazy oh, yeah. mods and stuff oh, like yeah, that? Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Like I say, the, the three-wheel has become a sort of firm product pillar for us now. And um, the way these cars are used is... It's actually, to be honest, something we, we often sort of reference. The, the three-wheelers are almost motorcycles for car people. You know, the, yeah. the three-wheeler owners are like a, a tight-knit community. They embrace open-air motor travel. They're completely in the elements. And as such, they need the gear and the accessories and the kit to respond to that. So, you know, you see cars in the car parks with sort of makeshift bungee cords to lash down the items that otherwise would just blow out of the vehicle. Everyone's in sort of heavy-duty driving jackets and ski wear. And they've got luggage racks and panniers and all these DIY solutions to to go and have these outdoor adventures, just like you would in a motorcycle. Mm. Um, And so what we attempted to do with Super 3 was to look at the way these cars were being used and exaggerate that through design. So three-wheelers typically, you know, they're a big expression of individuality. You don't buy a car like this to be understated. You're not afraid to have a very exciting motor car that your friends just don't have. Um, we wanted to embrace that eccentricity through color and options and individuality with graphics. And we've got the biggest options list we've ever seen on a Morgan before because of that. But we also, like, like you coined there, we also, um, recognize these cars used for adventures. So a lot of the options and indeed the character and setup of the vehicle is geared to have adventures. If the old three wheeler was a V twin air cooled scrambler designed for a blast out on a Sunday afternoon, this is definitely an adventure bike. This is the one that you'd pick up and go and have a long touring adventure with just as well as you would have a blast on a Sunday afternoon. So um, it's definitely designed to exaggerate those (laughs) use cases. Exactly. So it's got panniers and luggage solutions for exactly that reason. Um, The materials that we've used, the panniers are waxed cotton canvas panniers. They're designed Mm -hmm. right from the outset. They were on all of our mileage accumulation cars, doing tens of thousands of miles and testing durability. And they're developed by Malay London, who are a famed reputation for making fit-for-purpose um, luggage and accessories for the motorcycle, yeah, actually. Yeah. 
Um, we didn't stop there, though. We designed a driving jacket to match. Um, and then we look at things like the driving jackets that three-wheeler owners drive in. Um, and anyone who's driven a, well, any open-top car, for that matter, in the rain, you tend to sort of collect all the water on your chest, which yeah. is great, stay dry, but then it just drains down and onto your lap and you end up sitting in it. So we developed a knee guard, which clips over your laps as well. And uh, we okay. really put a magnifying glass over everything and every possible eventuality of how these cars might be used. Um, and it looks like you've, you've made some really like clear design sort of statements, like the, the big flat sides down the front. And um, yeah, then where did that come from? Yeah. Well, it's interesting, really. We didn't, we didn't set out to make any firm statements about anything in particular, or we didn't set out to mm. try and be controversial. Although, if some controversy was caused by a certain decision we've had to make, we've just lent into it. Yeah. So rather than setting out to be controversial, we've kind of not been afraid of being unconformist. Yeah. Um, some good examples of um, some good examples of that are things like those side panels. So it actually comes back to engine. Funnily enough, we knew that we had to adopt this car-derived inboard engine. We knew we didn't yeah. want that out the front of the vehicle because dynamically that wouldn't have been very good for weight and handling. Um, but also visually, car engines aren't designed to be seen. So we've taken this engine and we've bought that inboard. With that, we've got the addition of cooling packs um, and we've got to hold this engine. From the outset, we were adamant we didn't want this vehicle to grow drastically. We recognize mm. Morgan makes small, lightweight British sports cars. So we take the engine, radiators either side of that. We've clamped the engine in place with a set of uh, very elaborate metal castings, which are as thin as they possibly can be. Um, but as a result, you've got a given width on the front of the vehicle. Either yeah. side of that engine, you've got the wheels. And had we added lots of form on the outside of those rectangular radiators, we would have essentially been encroaching on our turning circle and we'd had to have right. driven our wheels even further outboard. So you can imagine, you can see there in the image, engine held by those silver aluminium castings either side. Outside yeah. of there, you've got one radiator either side, and they're rectangular. They're as small as they could be. Yeah. Had we put a lot of shape either side of those radiators, we would have encroached on that turning circle. Okay, the last three-wheeler yeah. had a turning circle of nearly 16 metres, which wasn't great. <laughs> didn't really matter for those that have driven a three-wheeler because everyone knows yeah. you steer with a throttle in a three-wheeler. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but nonetheless, we wanted to make that a little bit more urban-friendly. Um, and had we gone any wider, one, we would have lost that identity as a small, lightweight car. But two, yeah. we wouldn't have fit in car transporters or you know through some of the doorways in the factory. So really important for us to um, to embrace that turning circle. And the payoff was very flat size to the vehicle. So then we thought, right, how, how can we make this work in our favor? We also needed to split the air diving into the radiators and exhaust the air behind the radiators. And what we ended up with was essentially flat panels that were acting like diffuser plates. You commonly yeah. see diffuser plates on the side of a jet engine just to cut that air between the intakes and the body side. Um, so they were kind of very much form followed function in that sense. Mm. And then, like I said, we just leaned into it. We thought, great, well, here's an opportunity to carry some panniers and some luggage and put some graphics and some livery. And, and the fact it was a little bit disruptive didn't matter to yeah. us. Three wheelers are a little bit disruptive. And I think it was important that we, 
you know, just a it was, it was an interesting one when I saw the the design came out and I saw these these like pods on the side that you can then attach various bits and then you'll have to tell me a bit more about the way that works. But I was like, okay, interesting, interesting. I see like this is a lot more, I could see why you would do that. And then I was like, okay, but would I have a soft bag that I then sort of could lean into from the cabin and just chuck my stuff in and take it out? Or would I go for the hard (laughs) one? I don't know. And then then I was like, well, hang on a minute. Everything you put there is going to get covered in crud. And then... (laughs) <laughs> someone pointed out that you've done some stuff on this one so that it might not get covered in crud or less yeah well lots lots of things actually really again looking at the motorcycle market and seeing how some of these challenges have been overcome elsewhere um there's lots of things we do one all the materials are very fit for purpose so hmm. on the soft panniers which is probably worst case 18 that 18 ounce scottish wax canvas highly durable you can jet wash the things they're entirely waterproof yeah, but obviously you don't want to take a bag covered in wet road film into your hotel when you arrive, and they are sort of quick release on and off the car. Um, so we have got a sort of shower cap, if you like, that goes over it, a okay. really nicely quality one that yeah, gives yeah. you a second level of protection. But beyond that, the actual wheel arches, which are the sort of main cause of road film spraying up the side of the vehicle, have got this Centurion helmet we call it that drops right down low mm. down the back to kind of minimise that that um, the air flying up to. So, um, so actually, I mean, they're pretty good, to be honest. You get a bit on a really heavily spray on a motorway. They've got bags, obviously, like every part of the car and you gets covered, you know. But, um, <laughs> but on the whole, they're, they're fairly well protected. And then we do a hard aluminium case as well. And you don't get, because I feel like in the old one, if you like, it was wet and you turned hard right or hard left, you're getting sprayed yeah. by yeah. the wheels. You get, you get a <laughs> in your face. Up the face. Yeah, no, we, you don't. You don't get any more just because of those centurions, which also add another vertical line into the car and complement that that sort of side blade graphic. Um, so yeah, they they're actually really effective. Yeah, it, it looks it looks like a. It's definitely a fun solution and providing more usability if you want it. Like it, you don't have to have it, but if you yeah. if you want a bit more space and chuck some attach some stuff. And then somewhere in this process, you came up with a, a bracket design, um, yeah, which has, is now all over the car. Yeah, that, essentially, we needed to find a way to attach the luggage on and off the vehicle. Um, mm. And because we were working with many different partners to develop different accessories, we needed something universal and unique to us rather than borrowing a proven design out there. Yeah. Um, so actually, we worked like the whole car, really, design and engineer we're not separate teams here. We're just one big team at Morgan. And we worked really collaboratively on a design that not only looked good, but functioned really well, that actually enabled us to use, and this would be quite unfamiliar to most people, but on every single Morgan, the the tops, the four wheelers, the tops of the doors can be taken on and off. And they use a yeah. lovely little knurled round bracket. That bracket relies on being able to screw against a fixed thread. So were we going to put them on our luggage and accessories, we'd need to pop them on, slide them in, and then somehow retain a square foot so we could screw up against it. Okay, yeah. But for that foot to be able to be put on in any orientation and then rotate into place as it slid along involved a very intricate series of three different ramps inside those little fixing brackets that are around the car. 
Um, it's very complicated, but what it essentially means is Morgan have landed their first ever patent with this quite <laughs> unique fixing system. Yeah. Uh, actually, so in 130, I'm not sure if that's a good or a bad thing. In 113 years, we've got our first patent. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so that essentially meant that we've got now a very unique, very Morgan thing, yeah. um, which has got a nice classic looking bracket on the outside that is just really fit for purpose. Pop your accessory on, slide it forward an inch. All of the little feet rotate into place, and then you can just nip them up. Every Morgan owner carries a little Tommy bar in his pocket for taking off the side screens. So we can use that same tool just to nip them up into place. Right. Um, and then also, every one of those little brackets then enables not only different accessories like bags and panniers, it enables different windscreens. So you could have no windscreen, low deflectors, okay. a tour, a touring screen, like a tall touring screen. Um, and everyone's also got a tiny little GoPro thread in each one. And because these oh, exist really? all yeah. over the car, you can, it's like a camera rigger's dream. Because yeah, all yeah, of the rigging yeah, points yeah. are there currently. When you're doing video shoots, you can see the guys just sort of, you know, instead of just spending half an hour rigging up their shots, they just screw the GoPro. There's one behind looking forward. Yeah. You could have one looking back at you, onto the side, looking forward at the wheel, back at the occupant from the side. Yeah, that's good. So there's now 19 rigging points around the car. And, so yeah, like you said, there's 19. So you could, I'm, I'm sure people will come up with ways of attaching one to a, one that's like not directly near it with some kind of, you know, That's linkage it. and then yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so, yeah, again, it's just another example how we've, you know, we've not developed a car and then thought, oh, you know, it'd be useful if we had some bags and have done that separately. Yeah. Everything's considered at the outset. The the side panels, like I said, had were fully loaded up for all of the durability testing. So not only are we testing and crashing and smashing cars that are weighted up to the maximum they could be weighted up, we're also yeah. testing those panniers. We're testing those universal fixings. They've all got soft corners on them so they can go through external projections. Um, and there's just another level of engineering comprehension mm. that's gone on with this car. It looks, yeah, there's loads of sort of like details as you look around the car. Like the front lights, they're, they're like a bit, they don't, you look like them, they just look like some round lights. Then you look closer and you're like, hang on a minute, there's a tiny little light on top of this little light. Top, yeah. Those, is that the indicator? Um, those are mega. You wouldn't. It's the indicator and position light, but you wouldn't okay. believe the lens is about eight mil across. Um, yet it's fully dot and e marked. It's it's insane actually. It makes you wonder why lights are so big on other cars because <laughs> they're, they're they're tiny. They're fully homologated, fully approved. Tiny little laser dots, and they're piercingly bright. If you yeah. if you were to yes, yeah, so you got a picture there. If you were to look at one, they're um they're blindingly blindingly bright. Um. But yeah, they they live above the main headlight cluster, uh, not for aesthetic reasons. They are another example where requirement has driven aesthetic. Mm. And ultimately, if we wanted to, visibility angles are, are measured in different ways for different lights. For a position light, they're measured at um, almost almost 80, well, it's 80 degrees total field of vision. So almost 90 okay. degrees sideways from the actual light. For a headlight, it's much narrower. It's a, it's a 40-degree field of vision. Right. So had we had those position lights and indicators inside the headlight bulb, the whole headlight would have had to have gone up about eight inches to look over the top of the wheel mm. arches, which meant they'd either be very high and looking weird yeah. or they'd be really far forward and being quite hard to support. But by separating the position light out, we can achieve the field of vision with a position light over the wheel yeah. arch, but keep the headlight nice and low slung. Oh, nice. So, um, 
So it was all, all driven by legislation. So for us, they've just been, you know, the snail's eyes. And then the marketing team didn't like that name. They didn't think it sounded <laughs> cool enough. So now they call them, they call them turrets or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah but, yeah. um, but yeah, they're, uh, they're essentially, um, yeah, they're essentially uh, driven by legislation and requirements. And we've just sort of, you know, um, lent into it a little bit. Um, and actually they're really cool. When you drive in the car, you've kind of got these little markers now, which you just use to start learning the, you know, your line through the corners. And can things. you, oh, and can you quite, see them from nice when you're driving? Feature, actually. Yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. You can see them. You can see the suspension moving and the top of the wheel arches. Um, it's quite a good shot through the uh, through that sort of aperture, actually. Yeah. The inside of the wheel arches has got quite a sharp chamfer on it, too. And that's also to help with turning circles. So as they turn and become closed up against the side panel, they're really flat and close to them. So, um, yeah, it's really cool, intricate engineering at the front end. Um, and actually, you know, that's that's something we talk about a lot. The front end is very geometrical engineered lots of linear lines and push yeah. pull rod suspension and light brackets and lots of intricacy that a lot of the earlier three wheelers had as well lots of engineered mechanical details the back of the car is like a fluid seed pod yeah so you've kind of got this car of two halves it's like a horse and car almost the business end and then the coach end and um we quite like that it's being pulled by its front end and it seems to have a, at both ends you've got like at the back there's this kind of it's like a structural element that also is the hinge and all of that and there's another yeah. sort of almost like mirroring kind of materials at the front um what's all that yeah. stuff made out of because it's got a great a really nice like textured finish on it as well yeah really industrial finish um so, as mentioned, we recognize three-wheeler is an entry-level product for us. And one of the yeah. best ways of getting good economies is to ask every component to do as many jobs as possible. Right. Um, what we decided to do, having had a long history with sheet-and-fold aluminium and super-form aluminium, we've started to explore cast aluminium um, processes mm-hmm. a lot in our design, too. So those gigantic front structures and that hinge at the back are solid cast aluminium straight out of the tool um so there's no aesthetic covers on them or extra surfacing what you see is what you get that front structure is the engine mount of the car it's also holding all the corners and it's also ducting the air either side into those radiators so it's doing a lot of work for us it's also doing all the front crash structure too towards the back this another little cast aluminium block is the hinge for the boot it's also bolting the two sides of the car together it's the sort of mating bracket for them it's the number plate light it's the fog and reverse light and it holds the luggage rack as well so we're asking components to do a lot of work but instead of using 10 components we're using one component to do all of that work for us Mm. um which like i say enables us to keep the quality high it's metal it's cold to the touch it's real it's very industrial um and um and yeah, and it's just a singular component, so it keeps our cost down. Yeah, um, Luke. So yeah, it's the first it time was... in a Morgan you can pick paint and interior color plus chassis color as well. You can anodize <laughs> yeah. them. In, yeah. Well, you could anodize them in any color you want. When... At the moment, we're just offering black and silver, but it's only a matter of time until someone has some gold ones. Yeah, when I looked at the um, configurator when it when it sort of launched. I was playing with different things, and one of the things you could change is that front was it the front cowl. You could have it in sort of a silver or a black, and then this car was body colored. Um, and then it's just like, oh, I don't know whether it should be this or that or that. And then going and seeing this car, which was is basically all orange, um, 
the, the, you really appreciate the kind of like clean swooping shape. Like it's quite, it's, and it's like re- from this angle that we've got up, which is like a sort of side, slightly rear. Um, yeah. you, it just looks like one clean shape, which is really, I, yeah. I think it's really cool. And when you compare it to yeah. the previous one, there's so much more stuff that's just like there on the older one that when yeah. you don't notice until you twitch between the two and you're like, oh my God, this looks so much, like the design is so much cleaner, so much more kind of like modern and you don't appreciate it until you yeah, I mean, go back. No, that's right. It's very intricate towards the front. Um, and like we said, the whole body is very smooth. Um, the actual interior of the car, the door cards, if you like, there's no doors, obviously, what would be the door cards, that is the the structure of the chassis. So this is Morgan's first ever monocoque, um, which is quite quite a big point, actually. Um, it's not something that's come up. We were kind of bracing ourselves ready for the headlines, you know, first Morgan without wood. <laughs> um, but it is no one's really acknowledged it. Um, ultimately, for those that don't know, in the past, Morgan's chassis has been metal, obviously. Yeah. But it's always been structurally independent for the body. So the body would live on top. We'd shape it out of wood to enable us to be very flexible in terms of manufacture. We could build different body styles depending on demand. It was also good for NVH, and the wood itself was a former for beating the aluminium into place. With this car, the body is the structure, so it is Morgan's mm. first monocoque. Um, we did even have a meeting, sat, you know, in the room I'm sat in now, actually, when the subject of the meeting is, right, we've got this monocoque, where we put in the wood. And within about yeah. 20 minutes, we realized that, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to force something that didn't need to be there. Yeah. The wood made a lot of sense when it had a purpose. But if it doesn't have a purpose, it's, you know, we're not just trying to embrace a cliche. So yeah. we, we decided, you know, there was no need for it in the car. But no one's really been too upset about that, which is I yeah, I, I, a bit I, too I, close to it here at Morgan. But, you know, it's a couple um, of, you can spec a, um, yeah, a wooden steering wheel if you want. <laughs> oh, of course yeah yeah you can have a you can have your wooden motor leader steering wheel you can have a wooden dashboard as well so yeah. you can have decorative wood but um yeah you're right we should caveat with first time morgans had no structural wood in uh, the yeah. actual, but in the no it is, and it's um, it's like a, but, yeah. a modern structure with a car yeah. well three wheels but that I'll, I'll, essentially what you know it's again it feels really revolutionary for us it's pretty commonplace in the world nowadays but being a, being a being a monocoque, the A surface, the outside of that body that's painted is the chassis, and the interior door card design. Again, obviously there's no doors, but the interior body side design is the stra- is the structure as well. And the shapes that are in that are driven by the load path requirements. So where mm. we've got the requirement to connect the upper front bulkhead down to where the bevel box is contained behind the seats, there is a sort of diagonal load path. And that is the shape of the inside of the car. We right. flank that with the armrest as well, just to accentuate it. But even the design of the interior is born from its requirement. Um, you know, we're kind of really over-preaching the form follows function thing here. But we, you know, we really are actually. What we actually like to say is form and function, you know, in, in yeah. equal measure, really. But um, and either, you know, it's almost desired that what it looks like is how it needs to look to be functional. And I think that is what people see when they see the car. They see something being sort of refreshingly simple. Um, like yourself, you see, you see the car, it all feels quite organic. And I think that is because your eyes can understand exactly what the car's doing and why it's doing it. Yeah. And I walk around it 
and go, all the, the, the decisions have been made because people use these things as well. Like you're like, oh, they've done that mm. because of that, that X, Y, Z. Um, yeah. One thing I noticed or got told was you, um, you, can, you can slide the pedal box. I didn't, on the previous one, you could move it, but it required some spanners or something. And then this one, you're going to be able to just yeah. ratchet it forward and back. Is that right? That's right. So that was hard to achieve, but for lots of reasons, understandable ones like mechanical complexity and 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 cost and packaging space. But it, we were adamant at the start that we needed to address some shortcomings in the ergonomic calibration mm. of the last car. So in this car, you can bring all the controls to you. Your pedals go forward and nice. backwards. Your your steering column has got reach, rake, adjustment, up and down, forward and backwards, as well as having um, several different steering wheels with varying amounts of dish and size, yeah. not as aftermarket offerings, all completely homologated and crash-tested from the outset. So a very, very robust approach to the ergonomics. As you mentioned, the last car did have adjustable pedals, but you needed to be on your back under the car <laughs> with a spanner. It was a 20-minute operation if you got good at it. Um, and, you know, when you're swapping driving with your co-pilot frequently yeah. and it just wasn't ideal, really. So on this car, we've got a slider, not dissimilar to a seat runner um, yeah. with a quick release under the dash. So you pull the lever and slide the pedal box forward and backward. There's nice. even a nice little hook for your heels so you can drag it towards you quite easily. I was um, about to say, was it, is it it's sprung? It's actually a lot more refined than the one you saw. Yeah, yeah, no, it's not sprung. It's on a slider, but um, we've got a we've got a sort of heel catch that you can pull the thing towards. Mm. The car you saw was a EP level car. That means engineering prototype in our world, and it's the first time we built a car from um, the CAD design. It was the first time yeah. we saw the components in the flesh as prototype level. Yeah, we're now on VP cars, which are verification prototypes. We're building six of those now. Um, and they are essentially 12 months more mature in terms of the design yeah. release now. So what you saw today was, um, to be honest with you, as good as some of the production cars were leaving the factories 10 years ago. <laughs> it's pretty high quality for, uh, we were quite pleased with it, but, um, but actually it's 12 months, um, yeah. mature. we've got much more resolved designs now for things like those pedal boxes. I love, I, I love that you can move the pedals and you'll be able to move the wheel because that, that whole thing of sitting in the seat and the seat being the right place. As soon as you start moving your body, let's just say you had to move your body or in any car, you always slide mm -hmm. your body closer mm -hmm. to get closer, which yeah. messes with all of like your vision, how close you are, like the perception of various stuff all goes like exactly. out the window as you get closer and closer or further exactly. and further away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whereas just well, moving worse, the pedals. Worse than that, in a three-wheeler, yeah, in a three-wheeler, that would also affect your um, center of gravity on the car, the center of yeah. mass on the vehicle. So um, you can imagine you're sliding, you know, 20 stone bloke forward and backward and co-pilots in opposite directions and things. It can make quite a difference to ride and handling as well. So um, yeah, it does true. help having that fixed mass. And if you've only got one wheel at the back, moving weight away from that, <laughs> even more weight away from that. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's amazing. Right, right at the outset of the program, we did a lot of work. I mean, the very first, when you design a car, one of the first things you do is a sort of, a package model where you put all your hard points, your removable objects, your engine, your powertrain, mm. your people, and you, you play with the relationships between them and you do skeleton models, which just look at, you know, ride and handling and load paths and some of the, some of the key points. And the more of those you can freeze earlier on, you then design on top of them. 
It's almost like yeah. a skeleton. Um, and we worked right from the outset with Ryan Handling Partners. We employed that resource externally, um, and, you know, as, as a big part of our ambition to bring knowledge into the team here as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and that led a lot of things, actually. That led the exact positioning of the engine. We, we were nudging that engine block forward and backward in five millimeter increments okay. to fine tune the weight distribution. Um, and uh, it's actually a really small engine. It actually lives under the nose cone rather than the actual bonnet. It's the yeah. size of an A4 bit of paper, the block. It's tiny. Um, but yeah, we were nudging everything around. And one of the things that we realized is that we needed to push the geometry of the suspension as far outboard as possible, right out into the wheel envelope. In the past, you know, it had been a bit of a no-go. Oh, we've got to have wire wheels, mm. um, which meant that, you know, a wire wheel is laced up with a big wide spindle and the spokes are intercrossed like this to give the wheel structure. But that pushes the brakes inboard, yeah. pushes the suspension inboard, and you really compromise your geometry. Um, so on this car, we quickly abandoned the wire wheel, pushed all the geometry as far outboard as possible to the point where the actual alloy wheel rim is wider and further out of the vehicle than the wheel well itself, which is an engineer's, engineer's dream because they can fine tune that compliance and round yeah. up. But for a designer, you know, we like dish on our wheels. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, um, we, we even got into introducing more tire wall and balloon shape to the tires so we could, you know, trick the effect of that uh, wheel rim uh, okay. being so Yeah, because the tires... Um, lots of... The tires look... There like pretty old school but they're they're clearly not <laughs> oh we love them yeah to be honest probably the thing we're most proud of if we had to you know if you had a gun to your head to say what are you most proud of on super three it's probably the <laughs> tires um with the car's small yeah stiff. it's grown a little bit though it's about four inches bigger than the last one um and the old tires and wheels one they were very skinny and not really suitable to the performance yeah. levels of super three which is far and beyond um, what the old okay, three wheeler yeah. was. Um, proportionally, they would have looked weird yeah. as well. Too small and skinny on the car. Now it had grown slightly. So we developed that tire with Cooper Avon mm. directly. Um, it's Morgan's design. We even designed the sort of vintage oh, okay. tire nice. tread on the front, the balloon sidewalls. It's all logoed up with not only Morgan logos, but the Speedmaster brand, which is a vintage yeah. Avon brand, which is super cool. We're going to paint those in white at some point. Yeah, nice. some cool stuff for that. Um, but and they're speed rated to you know 150 mile an hour, so um, you know they're a, they're a real achievement. They are proportionally and visually, they're just really and those corners. so dynamically. I imagine just like like all the things you've talked about so far: small engine, moved back, everything moved out, being able to redo a whole bunch of stuff. Presumably, dynamically, this is going to be quite different. Or yeah. It is different. This is, this is without a doubt, it's different. It's um, like I say, not to downplay the character of the last three wheeler, which had a very distinctive. You could pull away in third gear, bags of torque, bangs and understeer, rattles understeer, and, understeer. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, exactly. It was a characterful yeah, was car fun. to drive, um, in a good way. This this is also a very characterful car to drive, um, and in our opinion, probably the yeah. better. Way. You know, it's. It's a, it's a much higher revving engine, so straight away the character's different. Instead of being low revving and talky and thumpy, this wants to rev. All of the power is about 6,500 okay. RPM. Um, the engine revs to about 7.5, so you're right up there in the rev mm. range to find that power. 
When you do, it's a three-cylinder engine, naturally aspirated. It's like inline three. So you get a nice kind of warble, a nice induction noise, and it sort of rasps as you start getting up into that yeah. power band. It's a car that kind of rewards you to drive it quite hard. Nice. The overrun on the gear and uh, on the engine is all really nice sounding as well. Um, and even at low speed, it sounds great. It's like it's got that sort of half yeah. flat six kind of sound. Um, so, yeah, very characterful car in that sense. In terms of how it turns in and how the suspension set up, it's, you know, I don't understand the science some of these guys are put into calibrating that. It's black magic, but, you know, it feels great. It's just nice. a really fun nice. car to drive. Where did the, um, where did the name come from? Um, that's a good question, actually. To be honest, Morgan and the name Super is not a new relationship. In right back to the 1920s, some of the early three-wheelers were, had Super okay. in the title. So we had an F-Super, which actually had a forward oh, right, engine yeah. as well, um, in board. So, you know, Super is not unfamiliar in three-wheelers, certainly. And then throughout the years, we've used Super on the end of four-wheelers to differentiate the slightly higher performance yeah. cars. So we had an Aero Super yeah. Sports, a Plus 4 Super Sports. Uh, there was Super Aero three-wheelers. So Super really is just an extension of performance and, and power. So it kind of made sense for this car. Morgan three-wheeler Mark II didn't yeah. feel right. It's a very different proposition. It's a very different vehicle. Like I say, if you were fortunate enough to, you'd have both <laughs> in your garage, not one or the other. Um, and because it felt different, having a you know Mark II didn't yeah. feel quite right. So he wanted a new name. It's it's a different character. We wanted something heroic and dramatic, and it's also a global product for us. So it's got to be a name that's relevant yeah. worldwide. And in America, where these cars are particularly popular, super is obviously a very well-used word, supercharger yeah. and super bowl and supersonic. And super is kind of very American yeah. as well. So um, it just made sense on every level, really. Yeah. And uh we also don't call it the Super 3. We tend to say, and I'm not sure how this happened, quite organically, but in all our press content and certainly when I'm speaking about it, we sort of refer to yeah. Super 3, almost like it's got its own character, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a bit odd. I've not done that before. Yeah, so. interesting. The um, the performance numbers. So this is like a hun- well, 118 brake horsepower. It's a bit heavier yeah. than the old one. The acceleration numbers you put yeah. are about the same. Um, but it's got quite a lot more power yeah. than the old one. That's right. So we are hedging our bets a little bit on there. So at the moment, we're going through all of the final homologation legislation, um, waiting for the weather to get a bit drier before we confirm okay. the final figures. Where, I mean, unsurprising, like you say, it's it's a minor gain in weight, a lot more power in the engine. This is undoubtedly going to be a quick If you car. can put the traction down, um, power down. <laughs> If you can put the traction down, yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, some of the some of the figures previously quoted on three wheelers um, were written a long yeah. time ago. I'm not even sure where some of them came from. <laughs> but, um, we're uh, we're um, it's it's funny. You speak to three wheeler owners. Hold up! What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. I'll have a yeah. different answer. Some are just going, there is no chance you're going to make the sort of figures that are being quoted because you just yeah. can't get the traction down, like you say, especially with that much talk. But, you know, down a hill with a wind behind you <laughs> and sticky rubber, you might have got some of the figures that were being talked about on the old three-wheeler. Um, but, I mean, nonetheless, you're right. Traction is a limiting factor in terms of that overall acceleration. What I would say is because this, you know, the power is there and it just wants to go and go and go, everything feels so mm. much quicker in a three-wheeler because you're surrounded by the air yeah. either side of you, your hands are in it, your face is in it. Um, it's like a motorbike. You 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 glance down expecting to see 70, yeah. 80, 100 mile an hour and you're doing 40. You know, it's they feel a lot quicker than they are. Previously, the sort of sketchiness, not that they're massively sketchy, but like the more sketchy something <laughs> feels, the more kind of fun and the faster it feels. So like, it's got yeah. three wheels, you're out in the air. It's like yeah. the handling previously was a bit interesting. Yeah. Like it felt fa- it yeah. felt fast enough. So this- <laughs> It felt super fast at no speed at all. This one being so much more yeah. compliant encourages you to yeah, go yeah. a bit faster and it's almost exaggerated <laughs> exponentially. So whereby, you know, you'd be you'd be a brave man to sort of stay at 60 mile yeah. an hour down all the little A and B roads you could find. On this car, you can do that easily. Yeah. And, you know, it feels just like rocket speed when you're flying around corners and tight roads. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a different proposition in that sense. But yeah, there's a lot of fun to be had at yeah. legal speeds, which is not something you get in a lot of sports no, cars nowadays. Like literally <laughs> the complete opposite of, of of what you get. What sort of um, like fuel range? Presumably the engine's pretty efficient and it's super light, so reasonably efficient. Uh, probably maybe unknown. <laughs> I've got to be quite honest with you. Fairly <laughs> unknown. Um, I mean, I'm sure. It will be known. It will be known by my technical teams here. But um, to be honest with you, I'm not sure where we're at at the moment. It's a, I think it's a nearly a 40-litre tank, I think. So, And like you say, a much more efficient engine. So it's going to be way more. It'll, it'll do a long more. enough distance or longer than you can, I imagine, in terms of wanting to stop and fill yeah, up. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fair to say. You're probably going to want to stop before it does, yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, great question. You're probably more clued up than I am if you're looking at the press release in front of you. But, um, but yeah, it's a it's a big tank. Interestingly, the tank is now underneath the seats rather than behind the occupant okay. in the boot area. Um, so now we view Superforming in the chassis. We're able to mm. sculpt and and manufacture and leverage a lot more packaging space than we could before. So um, we've now got fuel tanks down lower, which again yeah. helps with that center of gravity and that riding compliance. Nice. It's got, um, you've got sat-nav. Yeah, there's another world <laughs> first. Um, so we partnered with a, little, um, a motorcycle brand again uh, called Beeline Moto, which do this mega little, it's a tiny little yeah. round display. It's like the size of a, that's about two inches probably. Um, and it's got a very simple UX, uh, user interface, whereby there's a, an arrow and okay. a countdown. And when the countdown reaches zero, you turn whichever way the yep. arrow is pointing. Um, 
And before it reaches zero, the arrow is kind of pointing roughly in the direction you need to be. So there's two graphical elements, and it makes you wonder why you yeah. need anything else. You, you set your destination. It's driven by um, Google Maps. Oh, okay. So it's all nice. live and up to date, and it runs off a Google Maps app. So there's no danger of it being yeah. you know, out of date or, or not knowing what it's doing. If you decide to go a different route, it just updates quietly in the background and gets you there. Um you know, with whatever parameters yeah. you tell it to do, you know, take me on the scenic route, take me on the fast route. Um, and it, it's just like I say, two very simple graphical elements. It's, it's about the most Morgan sat nav you could get. It's just no clutter. It just That's does what it really needs neat. to do. Um, it's, an op- it's an option. You don't have to have one, but it's, um, it's a world first for us, as is a few other things, actually. World first monocoque. If we were listening to them the other day, world's first monocoque, world's first painting we touched on, world's first cut yeah. holders. <laughs> They're actually on the they're actually on the panniers, so your cup holder is outside of your car, yeah. or, which is novel, and you kind of you access it by reaching it there. But to get it, you need to buy the pannier and the universal fixings. So it's also probably the world's most expensive. <laughs> but you could you could mount it wherever you like <laughs> in the car. <laughs> in theory, you could you could use your you could use your universal. We do um, we do a cup holder on the pannier, but then we also have the uh, universal fixing, so you could position it virtually anywhere. In there. I quite like the idea of having it on that, like just in front of your hand, but just outside the car, like a bit like that's um, it. That's it, yeah. with, with Porsches. Historically, the cup holders were in front of the vents, so you um, could either have it cool yeah, or heated right. depending on how the weather or whatever. In this, you could have it outside the car; it's going to cool your drink down. You can have it inside the car. It's going to warm your drink up. <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's funny you say about Porsches. Was it was it the nine one eight Spider had it on the between the between your legs Did it? in front of the seat? I think it attached wow. to the seat runner or something. Seen that. Yeah, it was a real after. It was, you could see it. With <laughs> I mean, we can't talk because we don't have a cup holder in our four wheel vehicles. We've never managed to achieve that. So, all credit to them. But yeah, no, I think we were looking at that recently interesting places to put a cup holder where there's just yeah, nowhere yeah. forward the um the sort of tech wise you've got seat heaters there's there's going to be a is there going to be a heater for the car car another world another world first we've got a heater in our three-wheeler as well yeah so um that was following some work we did with some focus groups and actually um you know huge following for three-wheelers in sweden i did a um i did a talk at uh the Morgan Three Weeder Club AGM type dinner evening, and they were handing out awards to drivers. And I swear there was a seventy-year-old lady that won the award for driving her nineteen twenties three wheeler over from Sweden in January. They're a seriously hardy bunch. Um, but actually, our, one of our Swedish dealers sat in the meeting and said, "Look, you know we're we're a pretty tough bunch, but a footwell heater mm. would be great if we could get one." So we we considered that, and now we've got a water cooled engine. Um, yeah. much easier to plumb in a HVAC. So um, so we embrace that. And we've got a little heater unit if you want it. doesn't do a great deal at 100 miles an hour, <laughs> truth be told. It's, but, you know, sat yeah. idling in traffic, it certainly gives you a bit of a... Yeah, as soon as you start slowing down for some reason, you, you get a bit of toasty, toasty toes. Um, the displays and stuff like that, um, it's got two displays. What Can you change what's on those or what's on, what's on those two? It, what, that wasn't really... On when I had a look, uh, no, but interestingly, they do flip left to right depending on the re- the um, territory in which your car is purchased. Okay. Being in the center of the car, you do end up looking past the steering wheel a little bit, and there's no doubt that one screen is mm. slightly more visible than the other one. 
It's a bit of a quirk of all Morgans, actually, because we have all of our dials yeah. in the centre of the car. But to be honest, they're both they're both legible, and they are electric digital displays this time. They're fully enclosed in a waterproof box, and everything on the car, all the switch gear, all the interior fabrics, we've got new waterproof leather and a technical fabric we're using for the first time. Um, all of the interior is IP67, so you can jet wash okay. it. Okay. And actually, if anyone sees the promo film we did for Three Wheeler, we shot a lot of it on a beach mm. um, and uh, flying through sort of shallow salt yeah, yeah. water. <laughs> and the cars were just covered. And we knew we were going to get shot if we brought them back to base looking like yeah. they did. So we did actually jet wash them all <laughs> nice. inside and outside nice. there, everywhere. And they're, they're totally waterproof. So um, again, like yeah. a motorbike, you wouldn't want to leave it outside in the rain and risk anything going wrong. And we kind of took the same attitude with the Three Wheeler. You're not going to stop the yeah. rain getting in. So you might as well, you know, manage it when it does. Um, and everything's there's, fully waterproof. So those dials are just a waterproof seal. There's one thing I noticed. The um, the handbrake and the gear stick are, let's say, the gear stick's on the left, the handbrake's on the right. In a right-hand drive car, yep. is that the same or is it flipped? It is. And which, sure. which was it designed for? Was it right-hand drive or left-hand drive? Like, which is, is one of those ergonomically well, both easier? Of, both of those, no, they make no, they make no difference to be honest, because you're reaching in from, you know, your elbow is above yeah. the tunnel. It's such a narrow cockpit. Your, your elbow is above the tunnel when you get to the gear stick first. So, you know, it's a reach to one yeah. side to get the fly-off handbrake. So neither is, neither is compromised. Um, your leg rests against the side of the tunnel rather than the handbrake. So neither are compromised. But the... Both of the handbrake and the tunnel are, uh, and the gearbox, sorry, are carryover. So from engine backwards, it's quite familiar okay. territory in terms of powertrain. You have a Mazda MX-5 gearbox, um, fly-off handbrake, which is something that mm. we've had on all Morgans. Uh, we we didn't have it on. Um, uh, we, we've had that on all four wheelers yeah. as well as three wheelers. It was on the old three wheeler too. Behind the gearbox is a prop shaft. The prop shaft hits a bevel box. It turns ninety degrees for the final drive, which is a belt on the rear wheel. So all of that's very familiar. We did totally re-engineer the bevel box, but um, it's it's very familiar architecture to us. We like a fly-off handbrake. One, it doesn't get yeah. in the way of your elbow um, in such a tight package. But two, there's something quite nice. With a fly-off handbrake, you, you pull it to use it, but it won't engage unless you push down on the, on the top. So you make a conscious decision to lock it on opposed yeah. to just grabbing it. So if you want to <laughs> quickly shuffle the back wheel just around, like, it's just a fun... Go, yeah. It's a fun engagement, um, the fun thing to use. So with the, cool. <laughs> the meshing of the new engine and that existing transmission, etc., presumably that was like a lot easier than the previous engine. Yeah, absolute, absolute dream compared to where we were before. So the old engine had monumental and irregular mm. torque spikes. You had basically a litre in each cylinder, so you can imagine some of the impacts that was delivering into this smooth running Japanese gearbox. We actually had to use a like an elastic compensator, which was borrowed technology from a, a shallow river boat, <laughs> military <laughs> boat that basically would be going down shallow rivers yeah. with troops in it. And if the prop was to catch yeah. on the riverbed, it needed something to absorb that energy. And we had to have that device yeah. in the old three-wheeler, <laughs> um, which is all uncharted territory. Nice. I mean, some of the very first prototype three-wheelers, you only had to start the engine and, you know, catch the bit that dropped off. It shook <laughs> so much. Um, so 
totally different proposition. Funnily enough, I'm just having the conversation, the, the guy from the Mazda Gearbox company have just walked in. Um, so, so yeah, this is totally familiar for us. Smooth yeah. running triple engine straight into the gearbox. The gearbox is a dream. We looked at the six speed, but actually the five speed was, was the one um, in terms of the length of the gears, not needing an overrun gear. It would just felt better, slightly mm. longer gearing. Um, so, so yeah, very familiar. We've got, how many are still running? We've had six. We've probably got four cars now that are on extended mileage accumulation. And those cars are doing tens of thousands of miles. They're day right. and night. So every day you get into work, one's coming back in, having done yeah. the night drive, quick fuel, rechange, goes out again with somebody else. Um, we're using tour guides and friends of the business. We're all mucking in. If the car's sat still, one of us will go yeah. and bang a quick 200 miles out into Wales and back again or somewhere. And we're running those cars day and night, nonstop. Um, and, you know, touch wood. They're just non, they're just indestructible. At yeah. the so that's really encouraging for us. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a cool looking thing. And I was chatting to the guys at works and I didn't realize on pretty much any Morgan, you can have any panel painted any color, like, you know, ish. And you can do that, like the options yeah. you can do. We don't, like, we don't we don't promote it too much. I mean, Morgan are the most exclusive, you know, car in the world. You, every one is completely different. There's, we don't do fixed specs. So, you know, anyone can do essentially anything they want. Two-tone Morgans can go a bit wrong, truth be told. <laughs> um, you know, you've got to get the right, especially when you're mixing in uh, hood colours yeah. and interior colours. You could have four completely different colours, and in four colours there's a good chance Something's a couple gonna... of them aren't going to work too well. So it's that's why designers often try to put guardrails in some constants mm. just to kind of make sure that it, it makes it safe. And that's what we did for Super 3. It's been designed in such a way that you can change the side panel colour and you can change the chassis colour and you can change the body colour and the cow colour, but it's done so in such a way there's not really too many wrong answers, although yeah. seeing some of the specs people are sharing, I'm glad <laughs> that we've helped that journey out. Um, so, so by that, what we did is... We introduced three themes. They're not different models. They're not fixed specs. In fact, you know, of course, we'll build you one if you wanted it, but you can't even buy a particular theme. They are they're just just style guides. Um, We do a contemporary style guide, a classic style guide, and a touring style guide, Mm. and that reflects exactly what we started talking about today: the use cases of the three wheelers. Yeah, one's designed for adventure. It's got all the panniers and accessories and sat navs and big windshields on it. One's designed for big expression of color um, and one's designed to be very traditional um, and and reflect our heritage. Mm. So you've got the contemporary cars there, teal blues and coral oranges and yellow and white, and they're quite matched bold colors. Yeah. The classic ones, you've got a, a British racing green and a, and a nice sort of squadron blue. Um, and then on the touring ones, you've got desert and Arctic and camel trophy yellow. And you've got some different themes there too. But truth be told, you know, they're just a way to help you get somewhere near what you might like. Yeah. It gives you a starting point. And from there, you can then tweak and change and, and make it your own. Uh, I've been specking cars with customers and we've been starting with a contemporary one, but then going, oh, you know what? Actually, I want the panniers and I want the sat-nav. And you soon end up blurring the lines. Yeah, I, this level of choice freaks me out a little bit to be honest <laughs> it's cool yeah it's cool to be able to it's play cool with to but like... it was a no you're right 
it's daunting. It can be a real, it can be a real challenge and it can actually be, you know, quite a, quite a scary thing. A lot of people want confidence in knowing that what they're going to build is going to look yeah. good. And that's why we're trying to build as many different colors and get them out there in photography. And so people can, you know, have some confidence in what they're choosing because it can be daunting. You're totally right. Yeah, and you just, um, you can lose hours on that configuration <laughs> as well. <laughs> I, I started playing We've with it a, for a little bit. There's a little in-house. Little in have you got a competition? Yeah. yeah, there's a little in-house challenge going to see who can spend the most money on one of them. <laughs> What's the most someone spent? <laughs> I'm not going to say. Hundreds? I love the marketing team shouting at me. <laughs> no, no, you'd never get to 100. You'd never get to 100. Although, you know, challenge them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, like, well, but I thought I would but, like this in titanium. You're like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, that, to be honest, where, where it starts getting expensive is when you can't decide between some of the okay. accessories. So with those universal fixings, you could have the metal laser cut um, yeah. side panels, which look super cool. I love the look of that. But then you go, well, actually, it'd be nice to have a pannier because I can just right. put stuff in yeah. there and, you know, just go touring. And actually, you know what? If I was in the city center, maybe the hard lockable aluminium one is a bit so more you- practical. And you know what? I'm going to use this car for different things. So I'm going to interchange. And at that point, you're buying lots of different yeah. accessories. That's when it starts getting expensive. Yeah. Um, but you want them for the different use it. cases. Um, what's nice is you can equip the universal fixings, and then you can come back in a year's time and change mm. the use cases. You could buy some different accessories in future. So, um, And that's what we see with current three-wheeler owners. You've got to live with it for a while before you start. So the, Okay, so the one we're looking at now, we're just spinning around a configurator, the car I saw today had universal fixings in different places. Um, very close to, I guess maybe it's, it's just, just yeah. the configurator. Like, let's say, for example, around the windscreen, there was a universal fixing and a universal fixing. Yeah. Now, So you've got them there. They're, they're used to mount those windscreens, yeah. Oh, so they're underneath. And then the windscreen yeah, uses them no, to so, be mounted. So the both... <laughs> so we, we deliberated this. Some of the windscreens we see in future will probably mount to the top side of those. So you could take them on and off quickly. Yeah. Others use the universal fixing as a clamping plate to hold the windshield down. That is so you've still got access to the top side for things like phone holders and other bits and pieces you might plug in the top side. Right. So in that image, for example, the universal fixing is used top side. Yeah. So you can still access the okay. keyway on the top. So they can be almost both sides of them can be used. For different devices and they're available in black or silver so your configurator showed silver there and they're black on that car yeah. so they're used as a clamp in some areas they're used as a rail in others they're you know they're they, they're used for some storm covers and tonneau covers as well in other instances so and various sort of things that's what they're universal. so like yeah, yeah. the uh, yeah. and so this the the luggage rack that goes on the back that like that for example mm. can you just unclip that if you don't want it to take it somewhere, for example, or you're like, I would like to not have that. It. Is that is a nut and bolt operation? Okay. That one on the back. So that does um, the same pivot line that's used to hinge the boot yeah. lid. There's a essentially a if you were to equip the boot lid, the the bolts that are used to hold the boot get changed for one with a female thread in the end, so you can click the luggage rack to the okay. outside as well. There you go. You can see there in that image. And what that means is they both share the same pivot. So you can open the boot and luggage together, or you can just lift the luggage up. um, And they're they're not fighting against each other in that sense. So they they share the same mounting plate. They do have to be held very robustly. You could imagine if you had 
a couple of dry bags on top of there yeah. full of stuff and maybe an extra fuel can or you could have quite a lot mm. of weight there. Um, and uh, you don't want to act as a gigantic air brake on you. It flips up yeah. backwards. So that, that would need to be uh, bolted a little luggage bit against the floor. It holds bonkers. I think it's tested at sort of 65 or 70 kilograms it, or something. So looking at that space, that. imagining putting a big like dry bag on it, that's like a lot of luggage if you went for that. Yeah, it's tons. Yeah, when we were when we were up in the um, we shot one of the scenes in a quarry mm. in North Wales, um, and we were there for three days. We did film and photo and and some static stuff, um, and we had everything on that car that we were using to actually camp up there. Okay. So we had all our photography kit, we had the tents, we had some dry bags, some sleeping stuff, um, and we were just there on a you know what it's like on these shoots, sunrise yeah. to sunset. You might as well just stick a tent up, <laughs> sleep for four hours yeah. around a fire, and then start again the next day. So. We had that car fully loaded with everything we could get our hands on, and it was bouncing around those rough tracks. Nice, you know, it was great. Nice. It gave us a bit of a taste of actually how much fun it would be. Yeah, I'm yeah, not sure yeah, many yeah. Of our Customers and clients would go camp, go camping in theirs, but you know, I would. I'd take my son and yeah, and, be, uh, be fun, son, wouldn't it? Take him and go in there, go in there too, right? Go and go and stick the tents and the campfire and things in the back. There's there's yeah. there's something about the you know the the sort of harder road or the harder route that makes it's so much better if you just have a massive super camper machine thing that you turn up get in that and then drive home the next day like that's not that's not an adventure and you make you make conscious decisions about your adventure you're having as well you know i'm gonna have to leave this at home and take that and you kind of (laughs) you know planning your trip is as much part of the trip you know if you can just fire it all in it's kind of not as you know you're not not readying yourself yeah true you're not getting yourself in the right headspace um Right. Well, to be honest, I, I I think it's I think it's super cool. I really like it. Um, I I I prefer super. it to the old one. Having not driven it, so I'll reserve the sound and uh, driving dynamics versus the old one. But just now, it's one of those designs where you see the old one and you're like, oh whoa, this like suddenly the old one looks completely different because I've seen this evolved, more yeah. modern, and and I rate all of the all of the design changes pretty much uh for you know for the various reasons that we've discussed i'm like yes that will make it better more fun like a better car to use and 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 all of those things and it's an evolution and whatnot um i like it i'm looking forward to having a go at some point yeah that's that's really that's really cool to say thank you i think um I think uh, ultimately I'd encourage everyone to try and drive both. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're kind of the very, both are so exciting. And they're so, it's so much fun. One's a biplane, one's a jet. Yeah. <laughs> they're just, they're, they're total different experiences. Um, you know, I think if you were to want to live with it and use it a lot and consider commuting in it a bit and having more adventures, then, you know, maybe Super 3 offers a little bit more on that front. But um, they're both, they're both brilliant. Yeah. Lots of, um, lots of fun. And yeah. Um, right. So, Lots of them. I normally wrap these up with five questions. You've been on the podcast before, so I will ask a the few of them. Brutally hard, impossible to answer five <laughs> questions. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'll just narrow it down to two. Most interesting car to you at the moment, mm-hmm. and I am going to say you can't say Super 3. I'm trying to think what we're looking at. We're in quite an interesting transitional phase at the moment. Something we didn't actually touch on at all at the moment was um, electrification. Yes. And EV3. there is no doubt that Super 3, yeah, Super 3 does not only look backwards, but also look forwards in terms of okay. that sort of thing. 
So we are we are definitely looking at um, how electrification is approached. And I'm going to, I don't know, kind of broad brush that with general sort of niche electric vehicles. Yeah. I don't know. We're looking at a lot of electric vehicles at the moment. Um, we're looking at a lot of the smaller niche companies that have taken classic cars and done electric modifications yeah. to them to see which ones are successful and which ones are a pastiche. Mm. So that's definitely a big kind of focus of um, focus of attention for us at the moment. I must admit, most interesting car at the moment um, is probably the new Polestar. Ooh. I think the way that they have created their own, and to be honest, I'll caveat that by saying I'm not sure I love it, Yeah, but yeah. I definitely think it's one of the most interesting cars at the moment. I think the way they've created their very own electric EV language, mm. they haven't just put a blue accent or a green accent and written the word EV in the title <laughs> to make it an electric car. They've kind of invented an electric design language. You can see the the underpinnings of the battery and the platform translating through to the aesthetic on the outside. So um, the new, the new Polestar is actually probably, um, probably I think one of the most interesting cars it's, at the moment. There's some really intelligent surface language there. Um, but you can see almost, especially on that side view, you can almost see a nod to that electric underpinning yeah, and the battery yeah, sitting yeah, yeah. beneath the whole car. And then a very intelligent body popped on top of that. And they've just really lent into this new electric design language. Um, it's, 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 so, yeah, I think that's one of the most interesting cars at the moment. That's sort of setting the standard for yeah. sports. Polestar are some, so some cool stuff at the moment. Um, but like this and you see yeah, all of their time. cars, you're like, oh, no, they're really just sort of like slightly stepping out of this yeah. old mold that everyone's in. Yeah. And their, and their brand their brand confidence is just, it's just brilliant, the way they present mm. everything. Um, I love listening to their designer speak. And so I think, uh, yeah, really, really interesting stuff at the moment. That's probably a very with, interesting um, article. Yes. So with an EV3, um, presumably one of the problems you run into with a three-wheeled situation is you've lost a lot of that space at the back um, between the wheels in terms of packaging. So getting a big battery pack is, you're not going to be able to get a huge battery pack in, in something like that. So then you run into the that's right. range motor, et cetera. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So for us, we, um, I need to be careful. <laughs> I'm not talking about too much too freely. <laughs> sat in a design studio having these conversations every minute of the day at the moment. But okay. yeah. <laughs> the rest of the world hasn't caught up yet. We've just done Super 3 publicly. So I've got to be careful. I'm not talking about too much. Um, what I would say is we are not, about to launch an electric car in the next 24 months. Yeah. You know, this is some time away. Um, but what we have done on Super 3 is we talked about the monocoque. All of the structure and all of the investment has yeah. been put into those body sides. The bit between the body sides is actually fairly simple folded sheet aluminium. So you laser cut sheet of aluminium, the rivets, um, hold the thing together while the glue dries yeah. but they also sort of self-jig so there's no tooling there's no pressing there's no big investment in cost so those flat sheet metal folded parts between the superformed body sides are currently calibrated for a gearbox yeah. engine fuel tank could quickly be recalibrated for say a battery pack and a battery and electric motor for an example yeah. so with, re with relatively low tooling cost for us 
So we've considered in the architecture design for Super 3, how we would quickly and easily recalibrate that to take, like you say, mm. the constraints of batteries and motors in such a small envelope. So we've invested in that possibility going forward. Um, the finite detail of how we're going to do it, I won't get into too much detail on yeah, today, yeah, yeah. but um, we certainly are investing in being able to do it. But you're right, it is a challenge. Um, and you have to also use a bit of a crystal ball where are electric cars going to be in yeah. two years. Um, range anxiety has obviously been a huge thing in the past, perhaps in two years time, realizing that you're going to plug it in every night when you get home. And actually, like we said earlier, you're not going to go touring for five or six hours straight without stopping for lunch. No. Actually, do you need to have a 350 mile range in a car like a three wheeler? I'd suggest probably not. if not now, then certainly in two years, you probably won't be expecting that. So that certainly means that we can focus on power and dynamics more so than yeah not range, having which helps us a motor um, that's like you don't have to put in a massive motor in to lug like a ton of weight and then all of that yeah that's very helpful yeah and i mean and at the moment i mean i don't know if, i don't know if you've considered investing in electric cars yourself i've got an e208 and you you look oh okay cool um we were i was just i'm not myself i mm. don't have one yet at the moment but i was you know i'm considering it and you're kind of immediately drawn to those figures you know range and power yeah. and charge speed and i don't know i think people hopefully will start seeking other experiences when the sort of straight line acceleration and the range top yeah. trump figures and things become less important and more normal people are going right how can i get a car to move me more emotionally and i think that's when morgan will stand up and do an ev3 or something bonkers and you know kind of change perceptions of how fun electric cars can be a little bit um going forward but uh i, I could see yeah it'd be interesting to see we're certainly keeping a north eye on that sort of yeah. stuff you know how culturally electric cars are being perceived yeah i think they're not culturally definitely in the car world they're like there's people that are okay with it and then there seems to be a bunch of people that are so anti it's not even funny and i don't i truly do not understand that stance um i so i have an e208 that i lease because um yeah we were sort of dipping the toe into the water kind of thing i use it for short journeys and around town and that sort of stuff and only charge at home which not having to go to a petrol station with that car is amazing i love it um but it's weird yeah yeah it's, like it, you until you don't have to go to a petrol station you don't realize how pretty disgusting petrol stations are and then you go with i've got yeah. you know a petrol car and you go to a petrol station like oh bugger um but as yeah. a, <laughs> as a thing that's it uh, they they do a job very well um and you know it's yeah. what it is decent yeah and, it's, and that's it it's a really interesting question how do you how do you engage yeah mechanically with a with a car and when we had ev3s running around the electric three wheelers you know they were a completely different experience you hear the tires all of us mm. on the road you know you you hear the wind a lot more it's not just drowned by engine yeah though. you start your other senses start coming into play because you're not just bathed in noise you kind of start hearing you start feeling the wind pressure a bit more and your other senses kind of step up a little bit and it can still be really visceral. Um, we had like a Bakelite selection switch that you changed your driving mode with yeah. and stuff. And there's ways of engaging with electric cars in quite an interesting way. So that's the sort of stuff we're exploring. How do we make them fun? We've got electric cars in our fleet here that we, we run around in. And um, yeah, we're quite quite confident we want to be anti anti what everyone else is doing at the yeah. moment, <laughs> for sure. So, I think um, in a three-wheeler. Yeah, it's, it's certainly it's, interesting. The, 
okay, noise is, is a thing. But you could say, like, like, as you said about you start noticing tyre noise and stuff like that. I, weirdly, yeah. uh, drove a, a Lotus Elise not a, a while ago. Um, and yeah. I'd driven a bunch of louder other stuff recently. And it just wasn't that loud, this car. And one of the things I noticed was I could hear the tyres. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you're like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. Like, this is a different, like, it just this, this ignore it. Like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah, and you start, you know, you start listening to changes in road surface yeah. and how that might affect, and it informs how you're driving as well. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, when you put an electric motor in a Morgan with, you know, a single skin of aluminium between you and it, they're quite noisy things when okay, they're not overly yeah. insulated. They kind of squeal and whir and, you know, ours kind of sound like spaceships. But, um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that, that's really interesting for us at the moment. And companies that are doing electric in an original way mm. and really embracing it, like Polestar, I think, are, um, they're definitely interesting to us. Yeah, it's a good one to watch that space. Um, the, like the reason I yeah. leased my car is I just thought two years time everything's going to change so much. Like there's going to be a lot more vehicles on the yeah. market. The tech's probably changed, battery, whatever, everything, and we'll see. Um, but it must be difficult to sort of be planning for that. Um, right, five car garage. Oh, no, we had this one before okay. as well, didn't we? We did. Uh, five-car garage. I would have a Super yep. 3. Um, I have, like before, I'm going to have a two-wheeled vehicle mm-hmm. in there because I couldn't survive without having a motorcycle of some sort. Um, and actually, I've just spent very, very little amount of money on a very, very awful motorcycle, <laughs> which I love, which was a 1992 Honda Dominator. Okay which is a big single-cylinder, thumpy thing. It looks like a bit of an old Dakar bike. It's bright red and has the words Dominator and <laughs> Baywatch font. Oh, so nice, I, nice. Um, just it's, just, it's just so crap. I love it. It's just super fun to hoon around on. So I'm going to keep that in my yeah. garage. Um, I am going to have a Series 2A or maybe Series 3 Land Rover. Again, I think mm-hmm. that's staying in my garage from last time. Um, just a useful tool for doing everything with. I think I will have uh, Polestar on the fleet. Yeah. And then the new one. And for my last vehicle, I am going to have another Morgan Classic. I'm going to have a 4-4 that we don't make anymore, controversially. I'll get shot for saying (laughs) that. Uh, 1600 4-4, which is a brilliant little engine. It's a single engine. It weighed about 800 kilograms. Skinny tires, super revvy little engine. It was actually an engine designed by Yamaha. Um, so it revved through the roof and was just great fun to drive. And that, for me, kind of epitomizes lightweight British sports cars. doesn't go around a corner very well, but lots of fun to do it. And that would be my sort of go-to clean, conscious petrol car. Um, super 3, just because love it. I'll keep the motorcycle. I love the Land Rover. And then I think I need to own an electric car. I've got quite a long yeah. commute to work. So Polestar's the boy for me. Nice, nice. That's my five-car garage at the moment. Yeah. But there's so many cars like before that you'll think of after you put the phone down and go, ah, yeah, totally. why didn't I say that? So this actually leads me, <laughs> that 4-4, yeah. four, four, onto a question. Why are some Morgans got a number in them and some have got the number but spelt as a word? Uh, we've we've just been mapping it. We're looking at new product stuff at the moment and we've just been kind of mapping this out to try and make some <laughs> sense of it ourselves. Truth be told... 
Over 113 years, I don't think a lot of intelligent thought was put into it. It wasn't like the BMW 1 Series yeah. or 3 Series, an engine capacity thing. It was, it was never that logical. So we've been trying to plot some patterns and trends in it. With the 4.4, this is where it all started, the Morgan 4.4, it was four wheels, four cylinders. Right. And that was a growth from the three-wheeled cars okay. with two cylinders and things like that. So it was always four wheels, four cylinders. Um, there was then the plus four, which was an enhanced version of that. And then when we relaunched the plus four, we changed from the number to the name, right? the written, from yeah. the numerical number to the written number as a way of showing it was different. Okay. So that's when it broke into a number for the second generation of that product line. So with Super 3, because it's the first generation of that product line, it gets a number. Okay. You may get a word in the future. <laughs> um, that and also Super 3 looked better as a logo yeah. with a 3 than a word. So we kind of went, oh, cop, this doesn't work very well. We're going to have to try and uh, somehow justify keeping a number for Super 3. <laughs> but um, at the moment, first generation cars tend to be a number. Second generation tend okay. to be a word. I know that's really tenuous. But that's that's fine. I just remember, I think I, I drove the plus four, new, new, new plus four, and or maybe even plus six, and and then I wrote it one or, one way or the other, and people were like, "That's wrong," and I was like, "I don't understand." Yeah, I'm just looking into this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. To be you'd be forgiven for not understanding, because like I say, I'm not even sure we understand. To be quite honest, it's all right. <laughs> I, I, gen- I tend to now Google these things beforehand, and then just whatever the manufacturer's written, write that. <laughs> job done yeah that's that's the way to do it yeah. right yeah, brilliant well thanks very much for coming on the podcast Mega. and uh tell me about the super three it's a cool cool thing no problem at all thank you for having me hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.